From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, she makes it easy and helps keep more money in your wallet. This is For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. Welcome to a brand new episode of For What It's Worth. I'm your host, Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. I hope you will join me for the next hour, especially if you are a parent scrambling to get your kids ready for school. Now, I know in some parts of the country, kids are already back in class. If you have older kids, they've already gone off to university and college. But, you know, the typical time that we get back into the classroom is right after Labor Day weekend. And this is crunch time, right? This is the weekend where if you haven't got the stuff, you are at the mall, you are online, you are searching for that backpack, that pencil case, or whatever it is that your kids need to have on the first day of school. And I understand. I mean, I have two kids who are both in elementary school. It can be a bit of a scramble. It definitely can be expensive if you're not watching your budget. Uh, Retail sales at this time of year are second only to the holidays. So we spend as much money, we only spend more money at Christmas than we do right now. And really, it's very targeted spending. It's a different emotion when it comes to back to school. Christmas, we make lists, we make budgets, we stick to them because we got a lot of stuff that we've got to buy. But when it comes to back to school, it's about our precious children, right? It's really easy to get into that hype of if they don't have it, they're not going to succeed in school, they're not going to be happy, they won't fit in with their peers, all of that pressure. Some of it comes from our own upbringing. We sort of think back to when we were in high school or in elementary school and the feelings we had when we didn't have the coolest shoes or didn't have the latest bag. I remember that. There was a bag. I Forgive me. I can't remember anything from high school anymore, but I'll describe it for you. I'm very good at describing things. It was a bag and it had, it was just a canvas bag and it had leather as a trim. And then the straps were all leather, kind of looked like a camping bag or like a bag that someone would carry in the 1800s with like food and stuff. But this was the school bag that was the in bag when I was in high school. And I didn't get one until two years after everyone else had one because I think it was pretty expensive if you wanted the original. If someone remembers what this bag is called, please let me know. But it was one of those bags. And really, honestly, it wasn't very practical because it had a lot of strings and a lot of buckles. So it would be much easier because I see my kids' bags now. Zipper in, zipper, it closed, right? That one, you had to sort of unstrap everything and open the strings to kind of, it was kind of a knapsacky sort of situation going on there. Uh, and so it was not exactly practical. And I think that's why my parents didn't want me to get it because it's like, well, this bag is not practical. It's got too many pockets. You don't need that many pockets. It's expensive and it's not really going to serve its purpose. You're still going to be carrying stuff in your arms. So I get it. I get the kind of pressure that parents have right now. But there are definitely things that you can do uh, to cut down on costs. And these are not just costs of back to school. These are costs that go up as the school year starts, right? A lot of extracurriculars are on hiatus during the summer. And so we got our kids back. I've got my kids back in piano, in dance, in basketball. All these things were on hiatus. From Well, basketball we had this summer, but most of the stuff was, was not happening uh, during the summer months. And those costs go up. So definitely if you're doing that, Look at uh, city-run programs before you sign up for private programs. They are going to save you money. Uh, We're going to be making lunches again for our kids, or at least someone's going to be making lunches, us or maybe our kids. Uh, And there's a cost involved with that. So definitely going back to making a list, being targeted in what you buy, making sure you're buying things on sale. And here's my advice to you, moms and dads. 
put things in your kids' lunches that they actually want to eat. If you want them to try asparagus or broccoli or Brussels sprouts, do it at dinner time when you can do one at a time on their plate and encourage them to try it and whatever you need to do to get that veggie in. But when it comes to school lunches, I have learned now the hard way that throwing it in the garbage is heartbreaking. So I just put stuff in there that I know they're going to eat. So I know they've got calories, they can get through the day, and I'm not feeling bad because I'm throwing stuff away because that is a complete waste of money. If your kids are uh, a ways from school and you have to drive them in, carpool with other parents whose kids go to the same school, get them on a bus if the school system has a bus, um, or get them on public transit. That's going to save you a lot of money. And just definitely you know, keep all those things in mind with your kids, especially if they're a little bit older. Um, encourage them to get a part-time job. If you feel they can handle school and a part-time job at the same time, um, if they have an allowance, and this is a personal choice, you can uh, attach some chores to it that are going to help you. Dishes after dinner, vacuuming the house twice a week, whatever it is, uh, you can attach that. But again, a personal choice. Some parents say, no, no, no. Allowance is allowance. Chores are chores. Um, we're not going to attach the two together. But some parents like to say, if you don't do the chores, you don't get the allowance. So these are just some ways you can sort of organize your finances going into the school year. It's not just about the money we're spending to get them back into class. It's the money we're going to be spending all school year long uh, to get them through these programs, to get them through their day-to-day costs. There's things that are going to come up that we don't expect. So it's good to just uh, get ourselves a little bit on track with the, with the day-to-day spending so that we can deal with the unexpected spending excuse me, God choked up just thinking about the money uh, when it comes to um, when it comes to our wallets and it comes to our spending on our children. We have a fantastic show. After the break, we're going to talk to somebody about mortgage regret. And later in the program, we're going to talk about girl math. I paused because that's what it's called, girl math. It's a viral trend that's really dividing the internet. We'll have more on that. I'm Rabina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. Interest rates have gone up more than 475 basis points since the beginning of 2022. Homeowners who signed up for a variable rate mortgage in the last two years have seen their payments in some cases more than double, leaving some regretting their home purchases altogether. According to a recent survey by the Real Estate and Mortgage Institute of Canada, more than a third of homeowners say they have mortgage regret and 22% say they can't afford their payments right now. And another one third say that they would have bought a cheaper property if they had known what was to come when it comes to interest rates. To talk about this survey and what to do if you have mortgage regret, we are joined by Megan McPherson. She's a financial planner at Impact Financial Group. Hi, Megan. Hi, Rabina. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. I think this is something I've been hearing over and over again uh, in my friends group, in my family, just you know, it, even in media. So many people, young people, really regretting getting into a mortgage at the time that they did because of what happened with interest rates. Um, what has been the experience regarding Canadians just regretting the fact that they bought a home when they did? Sure. So, yeah, I mean, with the environment that we're in right now, um, you know, rising mortgage and interest rates are a topic that is top of mind for a lot of people and and understandably so. Right. It comes with a lot of uncertainty. It requires a lot of careful planning due to the impact it can have on your cash flow. And so. um, So, yeah, it happened very quickly. There's this and this feeling of regret is and even anger in a lot of situations is uh, understandable when your dollars aren't going as far as they were before. 
Um, so definitely a topic that is coming up a lot um, in, uh, in the financial planning world as well. I mean, there's definitely someone listening right now that's saying that is exactly me. I regret buying this home. We are struggling financially. We didn't lock in when interest rates were going up. And now it feels like we're going to lock in at the highest point. So we don't know what to do. If somebody is in that situation, how can they navigate this time when we don't really know where interest rates are headed, but at the same time, we know they've come up, you know, like I said, 475 basis points or 4.75 percentage points. For sure. So, you know, when when having those feelings of regret, um, you know, one of the things that I try to remind people of is, is to sort of, number one, you know, try not to try not to be too hard on yourself, right? It's, it's a, you made a decision not to lock in at the time for a specific reason and wait, based on the information that you had at the time and no one has a crystal ball. And, and so it's, it's really important to focus on what can be done now in the present uh, and going forward to to help manage those payments um, as opposed to to dwelling on that regret and so um, some of the things that you can do you know if you're feeling strapped um, is to really assess your cash flow and a lot of financial planning comes back to this this is usually the starting point with um, any sort of financial planning engagement that we, we start with any individual or family and and what we're really looking at in those scenarios is where's your money going each month so that really helps you sort of understand where things are at and then seeing how you can make some changes to help alleviate some of that stress so whether that is you know finding some areas to cut back in your budget um, adding additional income or leaning on your emergency fund if you have one um, ultimately manage, managing that higher payment requires that cash flow to come from somewhere and so um, it's it's incredibly crucial crucial to uh, to incorporate um, that kind of planning into your financial situation to help navigate that I don't want to make anybody feel bad about this next question but a lot of people have locked in now after seeing interest rates go up as much as they have in the last uh, 16 or 17 months. Some people are saying it was the wrong decision that interest rates are not going to go up much more and you're locking in at the top. Do you have an opinion on that? Is, is that a smart move from a personal finance perspective uh, to lock in if, if you're concerned about where rates are going? Yeah, I mean, again, you know, back to back to the, the fact that we, we can't predict the future, right? And, and we don't have a crystal ball. And so, you know, at that time, you know, it, whether people were in variable rate mortgages who then locked in to eliminate some of that stress, it, it probably, you know, at that time felt like the right thing to do. Right. And, and so, um, you know, or you could have had people who are just getting into the housing market when those rates um, were, were at the rise like they are now. And I think the key is um, again, back to my, my last point is really to adapt your plan and to budget, to do what you can to manage those payments. And also remember that, you know, homeownership is a huge, huge, um, a long-term goal and a huge purchase um, that you're going to make. And, and also remembering that things are so much easier in hindsight, right? And remembering what your objectives are and why you made that decision at the, at the time can really help you just sort of move forward and, and acknowledge that you, you did what you could with the information that you had. Um, the last point that I'll just point out with that is, um, is leaning on a, on a financial expert, like a financial planner, so whether it's a QAFP or a CFP professional, to sort of guide you through those scenarios and, um, it's, it really is, is helpful to kind of give you that additional opinion in those in those scenarios. So whether you're living through it right now or you're considering locking in, um, just having that expert in your corner to, to kind of navigate that scenario with you can always help too. 
That's an excellent point. Uh, we make the biggest financial decision of our lives and we don't consult a financial planner, most of yeah. us. We, you know, we talk to our real estate agent, we talk to the mortgage broker, and you know, in fairness, all of them have a vested interest in you buying this home, right? They, they're yeah. going to make some kind of commission or some kind of uh, profit from you buying it, whereas the financial planner, especially if it's fee only, uh, are giving you just advice on your finances. They're not, they don't have a vested interest in you buying any property. They basically are going to look at your finances and say, you shouldn't do that, you should do that, or I would be aware, I would be wary of this. Uh, Megan, if someone is listening and they're in the market right now to buy a home, they're right now trying to choose between variable or fixed, um, what are some things that they should consider before they choose either option? Yeah, so I would say, um, you know, my the one thing I can't emphasize enough is is doing is just doing your research, right? So back to the point of this, this being one of the largest purchases you'll make, and 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 such a long term commitment, um, it, it really does require a lot of careful planning. And so, um, you know, educating yourself on on your different options, so whether it be the rate. Um, different rate options and different lenders, uh, the type of mortgage that you want. Um, it's just a lot to go through on your own as well. And, and so, again, back to the point of, you know, consulting with a financial planner to help you navigate this, because like you said, you know, people are typically going to be, you know, consulting with a mortgage broker, or mortgage specialist. Um, and we can, you know, it's not like we're taking over the, the, the role of those people. We, we, we complement it. So, um, so we are able to sort of draw on those individuals for their expertise, but we're able to help you, um, you know, move forward and, and make those decisions based on what matters most and what your objectives are personally. And that's really what um, financial planning comes down to is understanding you and what, what your priorities are. Um, and so in addition to just knowing your options, I would say, working with um, a financial planner to understand um, the amount that you feel comfortable spending. Because I think, you know, a lot of people rely on their lenders to determine that for them, right? They, they look at, you know, how much they can afford, they go and get a pre-approval and then they go and they purchase the home. But there needs to be more time spent than that. And, and often the time, often the amount that you are approved for may actually not be the right amount for you, depending on, um, you know, what your lifestyle is like and, and what you uh, personally want to um, want to to do with your money. Right. And and so what what is best for one person might not be best for the other. And so that's the second part that I would um, that I would say you should consider is just trying to determine that amount that fits comfortably for you um, and for your situation. And so a common strategy that I'll actually recommend to a lot of uh, individuals is to try and test out your payments. And so if you're thinking of getting into the market, um, you know, try and whether you're, you know, whether you're saving and you want to, maybe you're paying rent currently, try and like, top up that, that amount and, and put some additional money into your savings or in addition to your down payment savings to try and make up what that mortgage payment will feel like. It's kind of like a trial in a way. And so you can kind of tweak that before you actually get in and, and make that decision. Um, it also will boost your savings long term. And so it's kind of a good way to sort of see how that will feel um, and, and to really test that. But that's the one thing that I can't emphasize enough is to do your research and really uh, make sure that the amount that you're agreeing to is really uh, suitable for you and doable for you. We're speaking to Megan McPherson. She's a financial planner at Impact Financial Group. Uh, Megan, the stress test that the federal government brought in was supposed to supposed to uh, um, 
protect people from this exact situation? Um, has it done its job? Uh, you know, this this two percentage points above your contract rate or at the posted Bank of Canada rate is what you were supposed to be qualified for. Did it do its job when it came to when interest rates actually started to go up? Because it doesn't feel like a lot of people were prepared in the way that it was supposed to prepare them. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think it's great that they that they were were doing that to try and to try and mimic that sort of scenario, right? But um, but at the same time, it really does depend on the individual and and it really, you know, it it because everyone lives a different lifestyle, right? And and so it really it it does come down to a very personal decision. And so, you know, what that stress tested amount um, is for for one person, that might actually be quite doable. Um, but for another person, it might require some really significant lifestyle changes. Um, and so again, it really does come down to what uh, what people are willing to to sacrifice in terms of their, their lifestyle expenses. Um, and sometimes uh, that that uh, amount that you're approved for, even if it's that stress tested amount, might not actually fit in with uh, with the kind of lifestyle that you're hoping to continue after you purchase that home. Yeah. And, I, and the one thing, the one big criticism I've had of the stress test is that it's really a moment in time. And it's not mm -hmm. like once we get stress tests that we're stockpiling this money away, awaiting an interest rate hike, we go on and we do other things. We buy a car, we put our kids in extracurriculars, we we go on yeah. holidays and we spend that money on other things. So when the interest rates actually go up, like you said, your, your money's tied up in other stuff, lifestyle stuff that you now have to give up in order to afford this home that on paper at the time look like, yeah, totally affordable because you you have uh, enough yeah. salary. We, we have just a, a, about 45 seconds here. I, is there a mistake that you see first-time mortgage applicants making frequently, not just in the last couple of years, but just over the over your career, you've just seen them making this mistake over and over again? I think, honestly, it's a continuation of the last point. Uh, as being the biggest mistake, I would say, would be uh, entering into a mortgage agreement blindly when it comes to you know affordability and just trusting that your your lender is offering you something that you you can afford without actually testing that in your budget first and and not doing your research right like those are the things again this being the biggest purchase that you make um it's it's just so crucial that you you make sure that um you are prepared to um to uh, to understand how that new payment is going to impact your lifestyle um and then being prepared for any sort of change and making room in your budget to be prepared for any sort of change that may happen, such as a hike in interest rates or even a change in income, for example. Megan, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, getting us up to date on how many people are feeling mortgage regret and what they can do about it if, if they're in that situation. Yeah, thanks so much for being on this. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. That's Megan McPherson. She's a financial planner at Impact Financial Group. A couple of people I spoke to, um, I mean, they are obviously in a very tight financial situation. They're feeling regret about their mortgages. Uh, they have a lot of anger over the mortgage advisor who first told them to go variable. One person said to me, I'm new to this country. I don't know how the mortgage system works. I feel like the mortgage advisor should have made it very clear that this is a very unusual time, that interest rates have never been this low. They they can only go up from here. Now, some people may argue that they should have done their own research as well. But when you are, especially in your first home, especially if you're new to the country, you really do put your faith in the person across the desk. And I think that was a really valid point. Bank of Canada cut rates by 75 basis points in March 2020. Anybody who works in the mortgage industry should have known these are extraordinary times and continue to send that message to their clients so they know the kind of mortgage that they are getting into and what it's vulnerable to uh, as interest rates go up. When we come back, we're going to talk about a controversial new term called girl math and how some experts say it's a healthy way for women to look at their money. I'm Rabina Ahmed-Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. 
You're listening to For What It's Worth with Rabina Ahmed Hawk. It's a viral trend that has the internet divided. It's called girl math, and it's a way young women especially are justifying certain purchases. One example, cash in your wallet is fun money, or purchases under $5 are free because they don't count because they're so cheap. Another example is of luxury purchases that are used over time, you can consider them free because they cost only a couple bucks a day when you do the cost average over how long you're going to use it. To talk about this and more, we are joined by Alyssa Davies. She's a personal finance writer and the brains behind the money website, Mixed Up Money. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Irvina. Thanks so much for having me. So Alyssa, tell me, what is girl math? So I think everyone kind of has a bit of a different take on this one. But for me, it's how we rationalize and do mental gymnastics to determine whether or not a purchase is worth it. And tell me a little bit how that rationalization happens, because I'm, you know, seeing things like, well, if the money's already in your wallet, it's not really like you're spending it. It's like free money, which really, you know, in my brain is like, no, no, it's not free money. It's money you earned that you then put in your wallet. So talk to me a little bit about some examples of girl math. Yeah. So personally, for me, I use the rationale that when, for instance, I go to buy my morning coffee from Starbucks, if I already loaded the app, I'm not spending money that day because I spent money a different day. So the coffee that day is free. I already put it in my budget on Monday. So if I go to buy the coffee on Tuesday, free coffee. (laughs) So you can see how people would look at that and say that that is not the way that you should manage your personal finances because it's not free coffee. You did earn that money and load your app and now you're spending it in the future. We call it sunk costs. So it's money that was spent at some other point in time and now you're reaping the benefits of it. Can you see why people would look at this and say this is not this this is not a way to manage your personal finances? I think that's where my mindset is different from others. I don't see it as this is how I'm managing my money. For me it's this is funny, it's a joke. I think this is really common for not just women but most people to rationalize their decisions this way. It helps us remove the guilt, the shame behind the purchases that we make. And for women, I feel like we've historically been told this purchase is bad. This is the reason you're failing financially. So sometimes you feel like you have to do all of this thought process to make the purchase feel okay. And I get you because when I go on holiday, I always pay off my credit card where I charge the ticket for that holiday before I leave. And so it does feel like the spending I'm doing on holiday is the only cost involved with that vacation. So I, I see that mentality and how it works. But is 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 the message getting lost in the, you know, sort of saying, well, this is free money or this is money that this is like fun money. I've seen all this kind of ways to describe um, money that you're spending that was spent in the past. Is the message getting lost about this is more about pre-planning? This is more about enjoying something that you've already paid for? Yeah, I mean, it could be. I think it's more for a lot of us, it's like this trend is helping people feel less isolated. I think when we can relate to each other, it helps us destigmatize money conversations, even if it's silly, even if it's not 100% accurate. I don't think anyone who's making these jokes truly believes that you know cash is free money. We all know that we had to go to work to earn that money. But I think when we talk about it, we feel less embarrassed to discuss finances in general. And I feel like if this is what it takes for women to enter in money conversations, because for the first time, they don't feel ashamed or embarrassed about their habits, I'm happy to see other people joining my community and finally starting to take an interest in their finances. 
So give me some examples of girl math. We talked about a couple there, you know, loading your Starbucks app and then paying for the coffee later, having cash in your wallet. What are other examples that you've seen that have, have been that have been uh, called girl math uh, in the way that you see it? I've seen people say that when they buy an item, if they buy a dress, that it's uh, a better deal than if you bought a t-shirt and a skirt. So that's a good purchase. I've seen people say that if you buy any item, which we've already been doing this for years in the personal finance community, is if you buy an item and it's something like a purse and it's $300, if you wear it every single day, it becomes a dollar a day. So essentially that's free. And that is a good way of looking at items, right? So, you know, when you think about quality items that cost a little bit more money to justify it, you say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to use this for the next three years. And that's way smarter than me buying a cheaper version of whatever it is I'm buying and replacing it every six months, which then in the end is going to cost me more than this more quality item that upfront, yes, will take more money out of my wallet, but over time is actually going to save me money. I think that's really smart math, actually, because, um, that, that means that you're going to save money in the long run and the long game is really what I always promote for personal finance. Um, You know, I have been reading a lot like, you know, it's this is a fun trend as long as everybody's in on the joke. But you have a following. A lot of the women that are doing um, these these, uh, videos about girl math, they have a following. Could it send the wrong message, especially to those young women who are new to personal finance, maybe in their first part-time job, and they may not understand the joke and, and take it in a different way? I mean, I think everything on the internet can have that sort of negative connotation. And I completely understand people who are saying, you know, this is perpetuating a stereotype. And my response there is like, you know, a trend like this that started for women, by women, and women taking control of a conversation and narrative, I think is powerful. And I don't really think that this is going to damage anyone or anything more than that stereotype that already exists already has. I don't know necessarily if young kids are going to see this and think I can do whatever I want, but I do think that happens regardless. I think a lot of us enter our first experiences with money as adults, kind of just free falling and figuring things out as we go because we don't have the education that we might need right away. Not everyone does anyways. So I think it's it goes both ways. There's goods and there's bads. And either way, I'm just happy that we're finally talking about women and money in the media on a higher level. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like maybe the word girl math also sort of um, makes it feel juvenile. Maybe that's not the right terminology. Maybe it's about um, understanding how to manage your money in, in this in economy, which it doesn't sound like a very good title at all. But it's, you know, <laughs> the, the fact that, you know, cash is not something that we use as much anymore. And I can imagine, even myself included, I'll open my wallet and say, oh, I just found 20 bucks. It feels like free money. Obviously, at some point in time, I earned that 20 bucks, but it's been sitting in my wallet. I forgot about it. It's somewhere I don't, I don't even, I don't even travel to that part of my wallet anymore because I don't expect anything to be in there. So I can see that, you know, how this trend is catching on because so many of us have experienced that where we find cash in our pocket and we think oh this is free it's like finding money on the ground basically does it speak to that does it speak to just the the way that we the the different ways and we're paying for things now i mean really how many of us carry cash around no one has a check anymore that they fill out um does it speak to that like just the new economy that we are we are navigating ourselves in 
Yeah, it does for sure. And I have seen younger people commenting on my TikTok saying, you know, it's the opposite for me. It is the digital that I see as free because I can't see it leaving my account. And so, you know, there is like differences in how we use our money. And I do wish that obviously there was a different title for this trend, but things like, you know, how women should manage their money, that's not going to catch on and go viral, unfortunately. And I see that the word girl has been upsetting a lot of people and I understand that, but I also do think that it's a slang term that Gen Z has been using in a lot of trends that are going around. And I think for me, I saw it, I laughed, I thought, this is funny. It's okay to have fun. It's okay to laugh at ourselves sometimes and just enjoy life. Yeah. I mean, girl boss comes to mind too, right? So a lot of people have a problem with that title because it, again, it's, you know, it's usually women you're talking about. They're not 16 years old. They're, 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 you know, well into their twenties and thirties, they've built businesses and we call them girl boss because they're a a female um, running a business that's successful. And that's the way that we sort of give them that, um, that, that respect that, you know, you're, you're running, it's a female run business. And so, and I can see how someone who works as hard as, t- as someone would to run a business being called girl boss may be, may, may not sit with them well. I mean, they, they may not like the fact that they're being sort of, they're called like an adolescent name. Is, is there a way that we can build off of this? So we've got the money conversation going, especially with young women. People are talking more about, um, their personal finances. As you well know, uh, women, especially when they have families, make most of the money decisions um, that then impact consumer spending, that impact everything that happens, you know, when it comes to household spending. Is there a way that we can continue this conversation and maybe make it a little bit more sophisticated without offending those people who really like this, this, um, this girl math trend? Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm with you right there. Like I want to talk about the fact that women, most women report like they have no time to take care of themselves on a weekly basis because they are bearing the brunt of domestic care. They are doing the mental gymnastics to manage paid work and unpaid labor, even when they're the primary earners. They're doing all of that mental load of planning, strategizing, delegating tasks to their family members. You know, we're essentially project managers for our households. And so I think that is when I like to talk about this conversation of why we have to engage in mental gymnastics to spend on ourselves because we are so influenced by these internalized beliefs, these societal norms, and all of this external pressure to prioritize everyone else over ourselves. Sort of to round this conversation off, is there a genesis of where girl math started? Like, do we know who started this trend? Do we know how it really picked up steam? Um, do, you, do, you know, oh, do you know where this all began? For me, I heard about it on a podcast based out of New Zealand, I believe, and they essentially have been speaking a lot about those decisions. They've been helping women make financial decisions based on girl math, based on whether or not this is a good cost per use, there is a good reason for the purchase, and helping other women justify their expenses. Alyssa, thank you so much. This has been such an interesting conversation. I have to say that when I first read about it, I had a, a very different reaction. But after digging deeper into it, it really did change my mind as to, like you said, we're finally talking about personal finances and we're finally elevating the conversation of how big of an impact of female spending has on the economy and how, how powerful we are. And I think that, that's, that that can lead to a bigger conversation down the road. I agree. Thank you so much. Alyssa Davies is a personal finance expert and the owner of the website Mixed Up Money. When we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about this disconnect that many people have as to how much debt they have 
and if they can actually manage it going forward. Some people are wearing rose-colored glasses when it comes to their financial situation. So I'll break down that survey coming up. And I'm also going to give you my thoughts on girl math and what I think this really does perpetuate. I'm Rubina Ahmed Huck, and this is For What It's Worth. From understanding a global economic crisis to crunching the numbers at the grocery till, you're listening to For What It's Worth with Robina ahmed Hawk. The best things in life are free. That brings us to the end of our program. Thank you so much for listening in today. I hope you got something out of the two interviews that we did. Definitely mortgage regret, something I have been hearing over and over again from my own family and friends and people, honestly, who I thought were really good with their finances got stuck with these variable rate mortgages. They didn't know what to do, whether they should fix or stay the course. And many of them who stayed the course have seen their payments double. And that survey does highlight how many Canadians are in that same situation. Great tips on what you can be doing. If you do have mortgage regret right now, the worst thing you can do is sell your home in haste because you're going to lose money on the home. You're going to spend money on legal fees, real estate fees, everything else that's involved with selling a home, and you'll be starting at square one again. If you can do anything to keep your home for the short term until these interest rates come down and your financial situation improves, or maybe you start making more money, that would be the smartest thing to do. So that could be renting out a portion of your home. That could be calling your bank and seeing, can you reduce the payments? There's a lot of options out there before you actually make the big decision to sell your home and start all over again, which I think from a financial point of view, would be devastating. Now, before I get into the last thing I want to talk about, I did want to discuss girl math. Now, Alyssa Davies is a smart lady, and I absolutely understand her point of view of where a lot of times women's spending has been minimized uh, because of society, because they don't take things that women buy as seriously. When we know that women make most of the financial decisions, especially when it comes to their families and their households. So women are the ones that make the decisions about groceries, about household items, vacations, even the cars that we buy and the renovations that we do in our home. It's women who are making those decisions. So women are a force when it comes to the economy. And marketers know that. They know they need to target women. If you look at commercials, if anyone watches commercials anymore, you'll notice that a lot of times, especially in the evening, the commercials are very much geared at household products, household items. Uh, women are the ones who are featured in that. Things are changing. They're starting to become more inclusive. But the reality is, is that the, the you know, moms are the ones that are buying the clothes right now for back to school for their kids. They're the ones shopping for the best deals on food to put in the lunchboxes. They're the ones making the day-to-day decisions. My issue really is with the term girl math. It infantilizes women and their spending and their personal finances. And I also think that even though Alyssa Davies did mention that this is a joke that most people understand, that it is something that we're taking, you know, we're just kind of making light of the fact that some finances we shouldn't take as seriously or some finances we can justify, it really does. It kind of is in the same bucket as girl boss. It's just terminology that I've never been able to get behind. Now, this may be my 40 plus self being a bit of a fuddy-duddy and not understanding how 20-something women feel. I absolutely get it. I, I remember being 20-something and looking at women in their 40s and 50s thinking, you don't really understand where I'm coming from. 
I get that. And I may not be understanding where women, young women are coming from. But I think as a 20-year-old, you shouldn't be called a girl. You should be called a woman. You're no longer an adolescent. You're no longer a child. You're in charge of your personal finances. So some somewhere along the way, we need to change the conversation from girl boss and girl math and girl anything to women, to adults so that we take back that power. That is really the issue that I have with this. Now, the math in, to me does not make any sense. If you've got $5 in your wallet, you earn that $5, you paid income tax on that $5, that $5 is not free. If you loaded money on your Starbucks card a month ago, that money is not free. Yes, if you got a gift card from somewhere, loaded onto your app, yes, that's a gift. I guess you can call that free. And if you return something, it's not free money because at one point you spent that money, you're getting that money back and you no longer have the product. I do agree with buying quality items. I have always been a big advocate of don't buy stuff on sale, buy stuff you're going to use. So if you want to spend extra on a bag or a pair of shoes or anything, some household item that you know is better quality, that is going to last you longer, tech is a great example. So buying more better quality tech. And over time, it's going to save you money. So you spend $1,000 up front, but you use that item for four years you know, per day. It's pretty much pennies a day, right? But if you buy it for $500 because you take the discounted piece and you use it for a year, it's cost you more over time. And also my whole thing is, do you love it? right? So if I love something and I know I'm going to use it, I don't mind spending that extra money because I will love it and use it for a long time. Oftentimes, I've stopped doing this recently, but I have to say up until you know not very long ago, I would get really caught up in, oh, it's on sale, I'll buy every color. Oh, it's on sale, I'll buy in bulk. So now I just buy what I need, use it, and then I move on to the next thing. And if I like something, even if I feel like, oh, this, I could get this for cheaper, at a different store, a different quality. If I like this exact item and I know I'm going to use it, I will spend the money on it. So girl math, I get it. I get the concept. I get the terminology. I get that having a conversation about women and spending is important. But I think we minimize ourselves when we make terminology like girl math viral. And it, we don't take it seriously. It's just like how our technical producer, James Petrovic, just uh, told me about girl dinner. So this is this idea that we just come home and throw a snack together and eat it, and that's called girl dinner? No, that's called throwing a snack together and eating it at the end of the day. It's called single person dinner. It's called mom doesn't have time to think about making a big meal dinner. So that's like that's something that we all do. I'm a mom of two kids. You think I haven't come home and made scrambled eggs and crackers for my kids and said, okay, fill the gap with soup? So if you're calling that girl dinner, I'm calling that quick dinner. I'm calling that lazy person dinner. And I know it's also been referred to as that, but take the word girl out of the conversation. They're not girls. They are women. Thank you so much for everyone who tuned in today. I do want to just mention very quickly the story that I teased before the break. Uh, there's a new survey out that says there is a disconnect in uh, managing debt 
and our budget. So a lot of people feel that they can continue to manage their money going forward. Uh, but really, if you dig deep into their personal finances, according to the survey by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada, they say 47% of people who said that their personal finances were up to snuff and that they could definitely get through the harder times, they actually couldn't afford the things that they were buying and that they were setting themselves up for financial distress. So my best advice is, you know, we're getting into September. September's a time of renewal. It's kind of a New Year's. I always sort of equate it with New Year's, you know, new, new year, new feeling. This is like new school year, new sort of attitude. Sit down in the next couple of weeks if you can. Take a look at your finances. Take a look at your debt. Take a look at the interest rates you're paying. And I highly, highly recommend, and this is speaking to all of you who have a fixed rate mortgage right now, do the math for when your mortgage is coming up for renewal, what the new payments are going to be. Prepare yourself because it's happening. Uh, a lot of people's mortgages are coming up for renewal next year or in 2025, and it's not like interest rates are going to be at those rock bottom prices that we have seen for the last five, six years, really for the last 20 years, but definitely last five, six years. Um, so you will be renewing in a higher interest rate environment. And if you're still at the top end of your mortgage, you may see a it take a big chunk out of your monthly household budget. So take a look at your financial situation. Uh, make sure that you are not part of this 47% of people that the Charter Professionals uh, Accountants of Canada say uh, really are, are buying things they cannot afford. Thank you so much for listening today, for tuning in. We will be back here, same time, same channel next weekend with all the big business workplace and personal finance stories uh, that really do um, help you manage your money better and help you build a more financially well future. That is my agenda. Thank you to you, the listener. Thanks to our technical producer, James Petrovic. And I will see you here next time. I'm Rubina Ahmed-Huck. This is For What It's Worth.